0: good, isn't it? I mean, that's good, isn't it? Amen. The Lord God who is worthy of all praise and honor and glory, come let us behold him together. Folks, we've gathered together this morning to do just that. We want to behold our king. We want to look upon him and we want to give him praise. We want to learn more about him. We want to know more about this king. That we serve. We want to know more about this Savior who comes to rescue his people. We want to know more about this Prince of Peace. We want to know more about this bread given to us from heaven to satisfy our souls. We want to hear more about the one who is life in the flesh, the one who gives life to all others. This morning, we want to behold our God and to give him glory. Because He is our King this morning. Listen, over the next few weeks, what I want to walk you through is something that I don't know if you've spent a lot of time on. We're we're good at this church at celebrating Advent since I got here uh, over five years ago. My goodness, over five years ago. Since I got here over five years ago, we have celebrated Advent every single year. And that's the, the period leading up to Christmas where we prepare our hearts to celebrate the first coming of Jesus when He was born in a manger, but one thing I haven't done with you as a church is kind of walk you through other parts of the church calendar as well, because it's not just Advent, but we celebrate other parts of the church calendar together. We just may not know what it is, or we may not spend time talking about it, so I thought this year what I would do is walk you through what comes after Advent when it comes to the church calendar, and this time that we're in right now is a time where churches a lot of times celebrate what's called the Epiphany. And that's a, that's a fancy word for basically saying that after you have Jesus arrive on the scene, what the church celebrates together is the fact that Jesus manifests himself. He shows himself to be the king. He shows himself to be God in the flesh. He shows that he's the one who was promised to come. And so what we're going to do over the next few weeks is look at those texts in the Bible that remind us that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of these promises, that he is God walking among human beings. We, we started last week by looking at the visit of the wise men. We talked about the fact that the wise men were a picture of the Gentiles, that they come to worship the king who was born. It wasn't just the Jewish shepherds that show up to worship. It's these men from a far away of place who travel a great distance to find the child to worship him. And these were not Jewish people. These were Gentiles. And what it was teaching us, I believe, the reason you have the story of the wise men in your Bible is to remind you and to teach you that Jesus is not just king of the Jews. Jesus is king of all creation. Jews and Gentiles are meant to bow down and worship him. I want to continue that this morning by taking you back to the Old Testament to prophecy that Isaiah wrote that pointed to the fact that God was going to do something amazing among his people and to show you that Jesus is that somebody. That he is the one who was promised all the way back in Isaiah's day. I'm going to ask you to take your Bible and turn with me to Isaiah chapter 45. Isaiah chapter 45. And to set the background for this text, Isaiah is writing to the people of God to express the fact that God's judgment was coming for them, that they were going to be carried off into exile, they were going to be a conquered people, but God also promised that he was going to send a rescuer. He promised that he was going to bring his people back to himself after a time of judgment. And so in Isaiah, you have the promise that they're going off into exile, but you also have the promise that God is going to deliver. And what's interesting is in Isaiah 45, God is speaking through Isaiah a promise that Isaiah would not live to see happen, a promise that God would raise up a king who would allow the people to return back to their homes. And in Isaiah 45, what you find, what I'm entitling this sermon is the Sovereign Lord for all nations. The Sovereign Lord for all nations. And if I can present to you this morning what I believe we see in Isaiah 45 Specifically in verses 21 through 23, y'all ever been to like a a play or a production and they'll have a, a moment where the spotlight centers in on one particular person. All the lights go dark and there's just one spotlight shining on one person. I believe Isaiah 45, 21 through 23, God is shining the spotlight on himself. He does it throughout his whole word, but here in these verses, there is no question that the Lord stands alone in this moment. And he speaks of himself. And you say, that's pretty arrogant of God to do that, to speak about himself like that, to shine the spotlight on himself. But can I tell you, if God is true and our pleasure is tied to him, Our ultimate satisfaction and joy can only be found in his presence. Then where else could he point us but to himself? The way God blesses us is by reminding us that it's about him. So in Isaiah 45, 21, 22, and 23, the Lord stands apart and he speaks of himself. And I want to read this to you. If you are physically able, would you stand with me this morning? Because I know you need to warm up. So stand with me this morning and let's read God's word together. Isaiah 45, starting in verse 21. This is the English Standard Version. And God speaks through Isaiah, his prophet, and says, Declare and present your case. Let them take counsel together. Who told this long ago? Who declared it of old? Was it not I, the Lord? And there is no other God besides me a righteous God and a Savior. There is none besides me. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. Heavenly Father, we ask you to teach us by your word today. God, we want to know more about you. We want to see you for who you are. And Father, would you show us by these verses why we need you so desperately. Oh Lord God, feed your sheep today, God. I pray you would stir up our hearts of adoration for you, that it would lead us to proclaim the goodness of Christ everywhere we go. Father, would you do this so that you might receive more glory? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated for just a moment. I'm going to give you my main point right off the jump. Aren't you excited? Here's the main point. There is only one sovereign Savior for all the nations. There is only one hope of rescue, and it's Jesus. There are not multiple paths to salvation. I hate to fly against the, the stream and course of our entire culture, but not all roads lead to the same spot. There is only one way to be saved. We either believe it or we don't. But God has made definitive statements that you cannot just simply disregard or gloss over. And he does it right here in these verses. But here's the problem. While God tells us that there's only one way to salvation, we prefer multiple ways. We desire to be in charge of how we save ourselves. We desire to be our own God. And God, in his grace and mercy, is not going to allow us to continue to walk down that path in ignorance. He's going to shine light. He's going to speak truth. The question you and I have this morning is, do we believe what God says? Do I believe what God says in his word? Because it's the difference between life and death. And this morning, I want to present to you the sovereign Lord For all nations, not just for Olive Branch, Mississippi, not just for Mississippi as a whole, not just for America, but the sovereign Lord for all the nations, for every person who's been created in his image. And I want to give it to you in four particular points, if I can, this morning. I want to begin in verse 21 by showing you that this sovereign Lord, there is only one, and this sovereign Lord declares the future. The sovereign Lord declares the future. Notice what he says in verse 21. Remember, God is writing to people in exile. He is speaking to his people who have carried off into exile in foreign lands. The the southern kingdom is conquered by Babylon and carried off into the nations and God promises that he's going to bring about a rescue and he tells us that this rescue is going to take place through a king named Cyrus. Cyrus was the king of Persia and what ends up happening is after the Babylonians have conquered God's people and carried them off, the Persians rise up and they conquer the Babylonians. Babylonians. And now Cyrus sits as the king who the people are under exile in. And what God does is he works in the heart of Cyrus, the king of Persia, to stir up his heart that he might set the people free and allow them to go home. This is a promise that Isaiah tells us about, a promise he would never live to see himself. And this is God's plan that he has given. And notice he says in verse 21, Declare and present your case. Let them take counsel together. Who told this long ago? Who declared it of old? Well, the question we have to ask ourselves is who told what long ago? Who declared what of old? What is God speaking about when he talks about this thing that was declared in ages past? Well, if you look at verse 13 of Isaiah chapter 45, notice God makes promises here. He says about the king that he would raise up. I have stirred him up in righteousness, and I will make all his ways level. He shall build my city and set my exiles free, not for price or reward, says the Lord of hosts. What is he promising? He's promising that God says he would raise up a king who would set people free. He's going to do that in Cyrus, the king of Persia, in the immediate. He's going to use that king in order to allow the people to go back, but he's also pointing to a greater king who would come, who would set the people free. And what God tells us is who told this long ago? Who's the one who declared this promise? Who's the one who told you what was going to happen and told you from of old? I believe what this is telling us is that God speaks of the future before it happens. And he doesn't just speak of it, he declares it. He says, it will be. Who else can speak of future events before they've happened, tell you what they are, and declare they will come to be? Well, it must be the sovereign Lord of all creation. And what I mean by sovereign is I mean he's in control of all things? Who can make future statements and declarations like this other than the one who controls all things and can bring about exactly what he desires? See, we're presented in Isaiah 45 with the sovereign Lord of all creation. I hate to burst all of our bubbles in the room, but we are not the sovereign Lord of our lives. I may want to be sometimes. I want to be in control. I want to say what happens And, oh, I try, but like my brother Jim said, and then all of a sudden COVID comes along. Or then all of a sudden you lose your job. Or then all of a sudden all your money's gone. Or then all of a sudden your family's ripped away from you. And all these things help you to realize immediately I ain't in control of nothing in my life. And I either go into despair with that. Or I say, thank you, God, that you're in control. Because he doesn't change. And he's not moved by any wind or breeze. He's the God who is steadfast forever. And if he declares something's going to take place, it's different than when I tell you something's going to take place. I try to guess. God knows. And he accomplishes his plan. I See, I believe in Isaiah 45, you're presented with the sovereign Lord who speaks the future and brings it about. He declares From of old, what is yet to happen. What a God to serve this morning. The God who is not limited by time like you and I are. But who can tell you what's going to happen, knows it, and brings about whatever his sovereign will is. What a great king. What a great lord. What a great savior we have. Who told this long ago? Who declared it of old? Oh man, sometimes God shows up. And through his word, he just grabs us by the collar and starts shaking to say, wake up to who I am and what I'm doing. And I believe you see that in this next verse. Actually, no, in in the second half of this first verse. Notice what he goes on to say. This is God talking about himself. He says, was it not I, the Lord? Who spoke all of this before it happens? Who declares this of old? He says, was it not I, the Lord, and there is no other God besides me? A, right, a righteous God and a Savior, there is none besides me. Notice, he repeats that. There is none besides me. There is no other righteous God. There is no other other Savior. There is only the Sovereign Lord. We either believe Him or we don't. He's either a liar and doesn't deserve a second of your devotion or He is the King of all creation who deserves every ounce of our breath given to Him. You with me? There is no... Oh, man, I live life like there's a sweet middle ground. Like I could just have a little bit of him and then a little bit of everything else and mix them all together. There is only one who deserves my devotion. He says, definitively, there is no other God. There is no one else. Which means, if he's the only righteous God, and He's the only Savior, then He's the only one who can rescue us. And He's the innocent one who rescues us. The word righteous means innocent. It means just. It means right. God says only He can save because only He is the righteous one. Only he has no guilt upon himself, so he can be the ultimate sacrifice for those who are guilty. Who is this pointing us to? It's pointing us to Jesus, because Jesus shows up and he says these things. Not only that, but if you look in Mark chapter 12, verse 32, and Acts chapter 15, verse 18, these words... That we see written right here in verse 21 are attributed to Jesus. That he said them. Can you wrap your mind around that? Jesus, who is yet to take on personal form, the one who is yet to take on the body of a human being, Jesus, before he takes on flesh, speaks and says, There is no other God but me. And in the New Testament, the authors tell us that's Jesus talking, that's what he does. See, the good news is, we don't need another. We don't need another Savior if we have Christ. You don't need to help him save you. He doesn't need Joseph Smith to help him. He doesn't need the prophet Muhammad to help him. There is one Savior. His name is Jesus. We either believe him or we don't. And guess what? I think God knows we're going to have a struggle to believe that. You know how I think I know that? Because he repeats himself. Why would you repeat yourself? Why would you say something and then say it immediately again? Reinforce it. Maybe they're going to struggle to believe it. Maybe they're not listening. You ever done that with your kids or your grandkids? You got to tell them, and then guess what? You got to tell them again. And then you got ten minutes later. You got to tell them again. And then five minutes later, you got to tell them again. Maybe four. Maybe maybe thirty seconds. You got to tell them again. Why? Because it needs to be reinforced. Because we're prone to forget. We're prone to disbelief. And so God here tells us there is no other God besides me. And then immediately says there is no one other than me. He says it over and over again. And like my brother Jim said this morning, I couldn't help but think that the Bible tells us in the New Testament that this is true of Jesus as well. There is no other besides him. We see it in places like John 6 verse 68 when Jesus is teaching tough things. He says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't be a part of me. And many followers of Jesus were told stopped following him. They said, this is too hard. No one can listen to this. And Jesus turns to his disciples and he says to them, are you going to go also? Are you going to leave now? And Peter, speaking on behalf of all the disciples, he says, Where else can we go? On, you alone have the words of eternal life. <laughs> Listen, there's going to be times in this life where we're going to be tempted to walk away. This is too hard. This is too much. I'm overwhelmed Everyone's walking away from me. I'm sick. Everything seems to be spinning out of control. And in that moment, I think we have to hear these words echo in our heads too. Jesus saying to us, are you going to leave too? And oh, that on that day and in that moment, we would declare like the disciples did and say, where else can we go? In Acts chapter 4 verse 12 we're told there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There is no other name to call on. There is no other rescuer out there to find. There is the sovereign Lord Jesus and he beckons you to come. He calls on us to come. The sovereign Lord declares the future. Number two, the sovereign Lord alone saves. There is no other place to go. There is none besides him. And God repeats himself over and over to hammer this into our brains and into our hearts. I love that God is that patient with us. And that accommodating to us. That he knows, hey, these folks are not going to get it on the first, second, third, fourth, tenth, twentieth, thousandth time. I'm going to have to keep on saying it, keep on saying it, keep on saying it. The rest of us would have said, listen, i you've, I've tried. You're on your own now. Not this God. Not this God who continues to urge his creations to worship him. And to find hope in him alone. If you notice in verse 22... We also find that the Sovereign Lord brings rescue for all nations. The Sovereign Lord brings rescue for all nations. Because not only is God stating these facts, He's telling you there is no other God besides me, a righteous God, a Savior. There is none besides me. Those are, in, those are indicatives. Those are reality statements. That's what's true. Then what comes next is His command to us. Remember, God doesn't give commands separate from the truth. He states the truth and then tells you why you should act. So he's stated the fact there is no other besides him. There is no savior besides him. So what does he call us to do? Turn to me, he says, and be saved. All the ends of the earth. That word turn, that phrase turn to me, that's repentance. That's a change of direction that results from a change of heart. That's someone who believes what God says, that there is no one besides him, and then acts upon it by turning to him. That's what God expects of us, that we would believe who he is and what he has said, and it might result in repentance, turning away from sin, turning from being our own kings and trusting in him alone. And when we do that, what do we find? We find salvation. But this salvation isn't just for us in the room. Notice who he calls to turn to him and be saved. All the ends of the earth. Every person who has breath, God urges to trust in him. And he uses us to accomplish this. He uses our proclamation of his word to accomplish this. He uses us telling other people about Christ to accomplish this. This means that Jesus is not just our only Savior. He is the world's only Savior. And God is not just the God of the Jews. He is the God of all creation. And so he beckons all the ends of the earth to turn from sin and to find salvation and rescue in him. He did it in Israel and now he shows it even greater throughout the world. And why? Why should you turn to him? For I am God and there is no other. He said it again. Come on God, we got you the first two times. You got to slip in a third one there on us? Yes. Because he wants to hammer home There is no other God but me. Folks, I can't help you with anything more glorious this morning than to tell you there is one God who has revealed himself to us in his word. There is one Lord Jesus who is the Savior of all mankind. There is only one place we can turn and find hope. The question is, do you believe him or do you not? If you believe him, Turn to him and be saved. If you don't believe him, there is nothing but condemnation to come. The question of whether we believe God or not is the difference between salvation or damnation. Folks, you ever wonder why God says, I need you to understand, I am the only God. His grace to us. It's His goodness to us to pull back the darkness and to shine light into our lives. The sovereign Lord brings rescue for all nations. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that when you talk to people about Jesus, you don't have to ask them first what their background was or where did they grow up or are they Jew or Gentile? You don't have to ask that. You know why? Because they still need Jesus regardless of what the answer is. Now, get to know people. I'm not saying don't care. What I am saying is if you find someone breathing air, tell them about Jesus because they need him. And I'll be honest with you. I've wasted a lot of days not telling a single soul. I've wasted a lot of days not pointing a single person to Jesus. Folks, if we're not sharing Jesus with people, what are we doing? Because I thought the mission of God was that his glory would be made known to the ends of the earth. That through his people, he would proclaim the goodness of Jesus to every person who has breath. And folks, I'll be honest with you. We can fall way short on this often. One of the things on the response card, I don't know if you got a response card, but if you don't have one, we'll get get you one before you leave. But one of the things I ask you on that card is, when's the last time you shared Jesus with somebody? When's the last time you sat down to tell somebody, not just a few facts about Jesus, but when's when's the last time you shared Jesus so that they might trust in him? That they might see their desperate need for him? Here's the answer. If it hasn't been very often, if it's been a long time ago, if it's been never, can I help you? God still loves you. He still loves you. But maybe this morning we lay down the gauntlet to say we're not going to waste our days. We're going to build relationships with people so that we can ultimately tell them that there is hope and rescue found in Jesus. I don't mean this to hit you over the head. I'm hitting myself over the head if anybody But I mean this to be an encouragement. You've been saved. If you are a Christian, you have been saved for the glory of God to proclaim Jesus to the ends of the earth. What a great responsibility and privilege to be a Christian and to know that he has equipped you to be able to do this. The question is, how, how are we living this out? Do our lives reflect our passion to see people come to know Christ? Because here, we need to share with him that there is no other God, there is no other Savior, but the, but the Christ. So these verses show us, number one, the Sovereign Lord declares the future. Number two, the Sovereign Lord alone saves. Number three, the Sovereign Lord brings rescue for all nations. And then finally, number four, the Sovereign Lord will be worshipped by all creation. He will be. He says in verse 23, by myself I have sworn. God is standing as the testifier for himself. That's how rock solid he is. He doesn't need someone to vouch for him. He has sworn by himself. He says, from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. That means it won't be taken away. He won't change his mind. He won't turn back. The word that he sends out is the word that stays. And it's everything he has said. There is only one God. Turn to him and be saved. That will not change. He has sworn by himself in righteousness. What is that word? To me, he says, every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall swear allegiance. What does this tell us? The sovereign Lord will be worshipped by all creation it's either going to be done willingly or it'll be done by force. Because we're told, we're told in places like Philippians chapter 2, verse 10, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every knee, every tongue. And if I believe that, then I also believe that what that means is on the day we stand before Jesus, we will either confess willingly and with joyful hearts, we'll bow the knee out of reverence and honor for our King, or those who don't believe in Him, will still bow the knee to him. They will still confess that he is the king before being sent off into a Christless eternity. Folks, one way or the other, Jesus gets allegiance. One way or the other, all will bow before him because there is no other God. And oh, how wonderful it is That we have a king who's not beating us over the head, but instead dies in our place so that we might be forgiven. That he shows immense grace to us who don't deserve it, so that we might sing his praises forevermore of how good he's been to us. That we would gather around his throne, as Revelation tells us, with every tribe, nation, tongue, and we all sing together the song that there is only one God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And we sing it together because he's the king who has died and rescued us from the depths of our sin. God isn't an ogre in heaven. He is the beautiful father who beckons his creation to come to him and find life and peace and satisfaction forevermore. What a beautiful picture Isaiah gives us. And when Jesus shows up on the scene, we're told in places like Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. Jesus says, Repent and believe, for the kingdom of God is at hand. When Christ shows up, what's he talking about? What Isaiah 45 told us would happen that there would be a king and he would come. And even though he was innocent and righteous, he would die in our place. See, when Jesus shows up, he's manifesting the fact that he's this king. He's this Lord, and that He deserves worship. So folks, that's all I'm asking you for today. That's all I'm asking you to do. Behold your God, seated on His throne. Look at what He's told you from His Word. There is no one else besides Him. There is no other Savior but Him. There is no other Christ but Him. There is no other hope but Him. So turn to Him. And be saved. Find peace and joy everlasting. Enjoy the presence of the one who gave everything up for you. And if he's secured your soul, if he's purchased you from the depths of your sin, brought you out of the darkness and the mire, and placed you in his presence, how could you not sing of him? How could you not speak of him to every person you know? Because just as he saved you, he can save them too. But how will they know? Unless we proclaim with boldness, there is no other God. There is no other righteous king. There is only one savior and he died for you. Folks, let's tell our community this truth. Let's tell them that there's hope for them too. There is rescue in Christ. This morning, maybe you need to do business with God to ask yourself the question, are there other loves in this life that are clouding out your allegiance to Jesus? Maybe you love Christ, but maybe he's not your priority. Are there other things that have become a priority over him? This morning, we need to confess that. We need to lay that before him to ask Him to forgive us of trying to elevate other things as more beautiful to us than Him. Maybe this morning other priorities of life have crowded Him out. Maybe you need to declare to Jesus once again that He is your treasure. He is your King. Maybe we need to ask ourselves how active are we in proclaiming this good news? Imagine 2,000 plus years later we'll still be speaking the same truth God's word doesn't change. How are we devoting our daily lives to this? How active are you in sharing Christ with others? When was the last time you shared with somebody? If it's been a long time, pray this morning that God would stir up your passion to tell other people and that he'd help you to do it, because he will. Finally, do you know what the gospel is? Do you know what it means that there is good news in Jesus. Do you know how to tell somebody the good news of Jesus? If you don't, talk to me. I'm happy. I'm happy to spend time talking to you about it. Because I've got all kinds of cool things I could show you of how you could share Jesus with somebody. That's not scary, it's very easy. Maybe you need to know, how would I talk to my neighbor? How would I talk to somebody about Jesus? I'm happy to help you see me after church. I'll be glad to show you some ways that I tell people about Jesus. But this morning, this God deserves our devotion and our allegiance. So you need to respond to him. I need to respond to him today. I'm going to ask you to do that this morning. If you have questions about what it means to be a Christian or join the church or be baptized or what it means to be a disciple of Christ, I'm happy to answer all those for you. Uh, You can stick around after service and I'll talk to you. But this morning, you need to do business with God. Whether it's in your seat or praying up here, you need to respond to God's word this morning. He tells you there is no other God besides him. He is the righteous God and Savior. He urges us to turn to him and be saved. This morning, you need to respond to that truth. And we're going to spend time doing that. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I love you. And I thank you so much for your grace and mercy that you show us. And Father, for your truth. God, your your truth convicts us. God, sometimes we act like there's multiple ways or we can save ourselves. But God, your word pierces our hearts. And tells us there is no other God but you. There is no other path to salvation but through your son Jesus. And so Father, would we trust you in that. Believe you and respond in faith. Father, would you help us that if we haven't been committed and active in sharing Jesus with other people. God, would you help us to do that. Would you help us. Not out of a task. Not just because we have to do something. But God, because we love you so much. We want other people to adore you as well. Father, would you help us to do it. Forgive us when we've wasted time on other things or, or put our priorities in the wrong order, Father, may Jesus be our treasure and everything else be in submission to him. So Father, forgive us when we fail you, but also remind us that anytime time we confess to you our sin, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We, we pray, God, that the blood of your Son would wash us and make us clean. And Father, this morning, May we respond in faith to you. You are our God. There is no other. To you we give allegiance. Help us to bow our hearts before you and to respond to you today. So, Father, change us by your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.